Well, good morning again. I don't know if any of you groaned inwardly when you heard what today's message topic was going to be. Maybe if you have young ones with you, you groaned twice inwardly about today because you haven't had the birds and the bees talk yet. Well, get ready. You may be having it very, very soon. Um, But here's what I'm going to do. This is the goal of my message today. The goal of my message is to find that middle pathway between dealing with what has become a humongous issue in our culture and society today, a huge temptation in many, from all those three angles I mentioned, for almost every Christian, if not every Christian. But here's my goal. For the reason that I think the church has to have a voice into this, I want to deal with it directly, but also delicately. So that's where I'm going to try to walk today. You have those beautiful blue connection cards in your program. If you feel like you don't want to wait to write me an email during the week about whether I was too direct or too delicate, just take that connection card out and write me a note and tell me how I did. I would love to get your feedback on this. So let's dive in directly and hopefully delicately at the same time. Dustin and I are reading a book right now, and it was a book that's assigned to us by our coaching network. I think you've heard both of us probably at times talk about this coaching network that, that has over 100 pastors in it, and it's divided into various groups of 10, 11, 12 of us. And we do it because both Dustin and I are lifelong learners. We want to continue to be better pastors for you. We, we want to continue to be equipped and to be resilient uh, through the rigors of ministry so that we can serve you with greater energy and wisdom. The book that we're reading right now in our coaching network is called Sex in a Fallen World. And um, here's, here's the cover of it, or Sex in a Broken World, rather. It's written by a pastor himself, Paul David Tripp, and um, I love the subtitle almost more than I love the title. Sex in a Broken World, but the subtitle says, How Christ Redeems What Sin Distorts. And I want to I quote more than I normally put uh, small quotes up. I'm, I'm going to quote liberally from this book this morning, partly because I want to encourage you um, I don't normally like promote books, but I want to encourage you, particularly if you're sensing our culture and society struggle or your own struggle with this sin, uh, to consider buying this book. But I want to show you something, and, and the, the first quote I want to show you is Trip, Pastor Tripp really saying, man, the church cannot step back no matter how tough it is to talk about this subject. Um, We're inundated in today's world. In fact, our world has gotten crazy on this topic. So, next slide. Sex. You don't have to look very far to see that we're in big trouble. The news is littered daily with sex scandals. And by the way, in his book, he lists a bunch of things that he's had personal situations with in his church. Starting with one that was very memorable for me was that an eight-year-old in his church, an eight-year-old, was struggling with this sin online. 
And so for us to think we're still living in an innocent world, I, I've, I am so empathetic toward you who are parents in today's world, in particular in this area. The content of the tabloids is enough to alert us to the fact that something has gone terribly wrong. It's hard to listen to any cultural discussion of sex that isn't infected with either self-deception or a distortion of reality. This is so true. Next. Sex can't deliver the promise that we think it makes. That's huge. We're asking sex very often in our society to do things that only God promises to do for us, and we've turned it into an idol. And it's more dangerous than we tend to think. Sadly, today, this beautiful creation of God functions in the surrounding culture like a spiritual solvent. I highlighted that, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Eating away at the very fabric of the human community. It has perverse power to master your heart, and in so doing, determine the direction of your life. Next. It gives the buzz that you're in control while at the very same time becoming the master that progressively chains you to its control. It offers you an inner sense of well-being while having no capacity whatsoever to satisfy your heart. It seduces you with the prospect of contentment-producing pleasure, but leaves you empty and craving more. Sex holds out the possibility that you will finally be satisfied, but instead causes you to envy whoever has more and better than you do. It sells you the lie that physical pleasure is the pathway to spiritual peace. Huge, right there. Sex is the work of the Creator's hands, but tends to promise you what only the Creator can deliver. It is beautiful in itself but has become distorted and dangerous by means of the fall. With all of this swirling around us and inside us, Tripp's conclusion, the church of Jesus Christ has been strangely silent and reticent. And he's really calling us out. He's saying, if you can see all of this, and we're pretty sure you can, how does the church stay silent on such an important topic? We seem to approach sex with a timidity, reserve, and embarrassment that does not make personal, cultural, or biblical sense. Meanwhile, the world around us seems to never stop talking about it. So if you agree that sex in and of itself, we're so inundated with it that it's become a real spiritual problem for us, hopefully I can convince you today that we can talk about this directly and delicately and bring God's word to the table on this, which it needs to, as Tripp says, be at the table on this topic. And guess what? It is spoken about directly and delicately in the Bible. And so I want to start out there. We're going to start out with the Apostle Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians. And it's interesting, if you know anything of the background of Corinth, you know the struggle there on this sin was probably about as huge as it is with us today in America. Paul writes this, I have the right to do anything, you say. 
but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. He, he brings this up because the argument in Paul's day, and it's very much the same in our own day, is basically it's sex like food is a natural appetite. And, and we're all basically advanced animals, and so animals eat, and they have sex, and so who's to tell us not to do the same thing? That goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. How different it is when we begin to factor our relationship to God in is what Paul's saying. Let's continue. Got the next one coming. By his, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Like, run from it. Not from sex. From sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So let's start here. Because too often, one of the ways that the church has dealt with this is to paint, or maybe not intentionally paint, but it's been received as painted as all sex is wrong, and in no way do we want to run into that ditch, not here at Amazing Love, not here as Christians today. In a perfect world, in the Garden of Eden, God's first command, do you remember what it was? <laughs> Multiply. And, and, and that is, there's only one way for humans to go about multiplication, and so God's very first commandment, we could call it, was to have more children through this beautiful gift in a perfect world of sex. And it can still be and is God's perfect and beautiful gift to us. So let's just start there and celebrate the fact that within the boundaries that God has established... There's nothing that will create bonds like this beautiful gift of God. And that's why he set it out there. Sex was not just meant to make babies. It was also meant through, as we know now in science, to create a, 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 an, a massive chemical brain bond between two people. That was God's original attention, to take the bond between Adam and Eve and constantly strengthen it 
And, and Adam could do that by serving faithfully his wife in the garden, but he, he could also do that with Eve. They could do it together by enjoying this beautiful gift of bonding, two people becoming one. That's how he describes it in the book of Genesis. So I don't want you going away today because from this jumping off point, unfortunately, we're going to talk a lot about how sin has spoiled this beautiful gift of God. But I feel like it's important to start out with this truth, and it is still true today. It is a beautiful gift of God when it is used in the way God intends it. And if you, as a married person in a married couple, are not enjoying this as the beautiful gift of God that God originally intended it for, and you are a redeemed child of God. That's why the title of this is Sex Redeemed. Can I just encourage you to get past all the, 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 the feelings that you have and keep chipping away at getting back to God's original design that is as a gift for you in your marriage? Because it is so worth it if you can be there and get there on a regular basis. So that's for all you married couples out there. Now let's dive into the rest of the message. So I want to start by, by talking about this, the confusion we need to deal with. You can fill that in on your, on your notes if you want to. And let's go back to something that, that Tripp said uh, about this, has, this whole issue, the way sin has spoiled sex, has become a solvent. I've got a, a picture of a solvent that we'll put up there, just so you can look at that. Notice what word is at the top there? You probably don't want to drink that stuff. Now, it's useful. A lot of, a lot of you are maybe using it at your place of work if you're a manufacturer or a designer of machines and engines and different things. When I worked a summer job, uh, we, we, did, uh, we welded parts at this summer job for aircraft maintenance. And we had like one of those big um, vats. It was like a, a garbage thing, and it was filled with buckets and buckets of that. You had to be careful not to breathe around it. You'd take a long pole, and you'd take a, an aircraft engine part, and you dip it down in there, leave it for a little while, and then pull it out. And it would be cleaner than clean. Very useful, but useful because it pulls the dirt particles and the molecules of grease and so on apart. And that's what solvents do. They dissolve things. And Tripp's point in calling the, the sinful side of sex a solvent is to say, it's acting like a solvent in, in, in the sense that it is dissolving the moral bonds of our society. In the Bible, sexual sin is painted as something that comes along when people are getting more and more and more distant from God. You can almost measure the distance from God of a society and a culture by the degree, Paul says, to which they've gone into sins of sexual identity, gender issues. And, and the further people get from God, the more you're going to see these things, as Paul points. And the more you see these things, you know what you should be thinking about? The end is coming. 
And so as you watch this in our culture and society, that's Tripp's point, is that we have to be careful. And so let's look at this passage once again that I just read. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's the point that Paul is making here. And this is huge for Americans. There's a confusion about rights and right. Do you understand what I'm saying there? In our culture and society, we've been led to believe that if it's within our rights to do something, it must be right for us to do it. And nothing could be further from the truth. Just because we have rights to do something doesn't mean we can always go around. As Paul says, it's not always beneficial to exercise our rights. It's not always right to be within our rights. Because sometimes, even when we're within our rights, when we're doing things that are legal and our society would consider completely proper, if not normal, we're actually doing great harm. We're part of the solvent, pulling apart the fabric of our society. And in fact, when you pull apart the fabric of the family and of your society, there's only one place that's going to land you. Do you know what that is? And we're seeing it today in our society. You've probably thought it to yourself, if not said it to your spouse. This world that we're living in is just utterly nuts. It's crazy. People are insane. And, and especially in this area. Well, let's look again at what Tripp has to say. Insanity, no, not mine, but the culture's. I'm deeply persuaded that when it comes to sex, we've gone culturally insane. The level of functional delusion, of self-deception and self-destruction that accompanies the way we approach it is simply crazy. Do you want me to mention just one specific so you can get what Tripp is talking about, what I would clearly talk about? All the time now, in fact, you can get canceled simply by saying, no, a male, a man cannot have a baby. Now, to me, hopefully to you, that sounds insane to say a man can have a baby. But our culture puts it out there as if we're insane to say what we want to say as Christians, that God designed you, that he made, as it says in the book of Genesis, males and females, men and women. That is by his design and that the most healthy, perfect thing we can do is accept the beautiful gift of the gender God has given us. And that's what Tripp is talking about. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about the fact that we're overwhelmed at every point just by images of sexuality alone. And 
the exposure that we get today to those kinds of images and what it does inside your body with the brain chemicals is creating great damage to the point where it's leading us to insanity. But God gave us an important truth, and I want to share it with you because it's our way to avoid, we're willing to follow God's guidance, the dangers of this. So here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Our rights are not always right. That is, pursuing our rights, using our rights may not always be for our good. Can you memorize that? Because your culture is going to be telling you, don't let anyone take your rights away. And your Christianity is going to tell you, I will exercise my rights only when it's healthy for me to do so, healthy for me and healthy for the people in my life. Do you think bodies matter? You know, as Christians, sometimes it feels like we're talking about souls and spirits a lot. Of course. But do you know your body's going to last forever? Here's why why bodies matter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. There's a book written by this that would be the second book that I could recommend today uh, by an author I love, Philip Yancey, and he got together with a physician and he wrote this beautiful book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, where he goes through all the things that God has done in our biology as human beings, it's really worth a read. And um, you're going to go away with the whole library of books maybe to read today as, as extra to this. But that's what the Bible tells us. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, look at verses 14 and 15. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul takes it one more step. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You are created in a way that is mind-blowing. But then Paul goes on and he says, do you realize you are not only created by God, but you are also redeemed by God at great cost to Him. God owns you twice. First of all, He owns you as your creator. And then secondly of all, something that He created, He came back and bought again to get us out of our, out of our sins. And then Paul says, with God making such an, a huge effort toward us to redeem our souls, our spirits, and our bodies for eternity because our bodies will be with us in eternity, what need we to remember about why our bodies matter to God? Well, I want to give you a, an acronym, and if you read carefully through Paul's verses, you're going to notice that he makes these four arguments about your bodies that are results of Christ on the cross, forgiving all your sins and redeeming you. He says, first of all, your bodies are epic, and that's an acronym. A, your bodies are eternal. One day they're going to be raised. 
B, when Christ died for you, he purified not just your soul, but your bodies as well. Three, your bodies are integrated with God himself. You are one with God. And then consecrated. Your bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. They have been consecrated and dedicated to him. Here's the second truth about this whole area of sex to remember. If our bodies are epic and they are created that way and then redeemed for that purpose with God, then step back from our temptations, step back from the pain that may have been caused in this area to you, Step back even from the guilt and shame of your own sin in this area and elevate yourself to this point of saying, if my body is also redeemed, that makes it epic. This body that sometimes my sinful nature wants to drag into sin, I have to remember this. I have to remember how epic this body is, that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that it will one day be raised from the, the grave and be an eternal body that I live with forever. All these acronyms that we have, that it is purified, integrated, and consecrated are things to remember about our body as we approach a world that is inundated with this sin. And here's the final point. Is my body really my body? This is where Paul goes finally. And he says this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. These two thoughts especially, flee from sexual immorality. You were bought at a price. Honor God with your bodies. Huge, huge in this area. And I, I, I want to start by reminding you of a movie that you probably saw a few years back. Do you remember the movie Inside Out? I don't know how many of you watch animated Disney movies, Pixar movies, but this is a very popular movie a few years back. And a lot of us watched it, and, and I particularly, as an adult, loved it because it illustrated this important point as this Young lady Riley moves from the Midwest to San Francisco and she goes through a lot of painful changes and, and experiences in that move to the coast and everything. And it talks about the headquarters of her mind and how it, it deploys all these different emotions, joy and, and sorrow and so on and so forth. And, and these were used to illustrate the different emotions. What that movie teaches us is that we're actually inside-out people. That, that our actions come from 
emotions that are driven by thoughts. I have a slide to show you. This is how things work. An event happens, we get a thought, and we generate some self-talk from this event, which creates certain emotions about the event, which lead to our words and actions, and then eventually build our habits and character. Now I want you to see what Tripp says about all of this. Human beings are inside-out beings. That is, we do whatever what we do, not so much because of what is outside us. Now, I hope, you, I hope you feel hope from hearing this. Because in a world where we're flooded with a certain sin, we don't have to be driven by what's outside of us because we're inside-out people, especially as redeemed children of God. But because of what is inside us, that's our hope. Because who is inside us? The Holy Spirit. Who is living inside of us? Jesus Christ. If God had created people whose choices and behavior were hopelessly determined by what lies outside, he surely wouldn't have placed them in an environment of such gorgeous delights. He's talking about the Garden of Eden here. They would have been quickly overwhelmed and soon addicted, unable to control themselves because of the powerful determinants everywhere around them. Adam and Eve weren't made like that. They were given hearts that could think, imagine, consider, weigh, choose, feel, regret, and worship. And God knew that as long as their hearts were not controlled by pleasure, but ruled by Him, they would be able to engage in pleasure in a God-glorifying way and not lose their way. I want you to hear that because it is easy for us as Christians to, to talk a lot about how hopeless this situation feels, how overwhelmed we might feel with this sin, how tempted we are, how, how struggling with the pain of the past we are, how filled with guilt and shame we are. But I like where Trip takes us that we are inside-out people. And when we have Christ within us, as well as Christ for us on the cross, that we are forgiven and redeemed by that beautiful act of His taking all our sins on Himself, but also that He says, I and my Spirit will live within you, and as long as you are an inside-out person, which we Christians are, there's always hope. Christ is a healer, and He can heal us. So here's what I want you to write. Our bodies are the Lord's. It's Him living within us. It's Him who redeemed us. It's Him who paid the high cost. My body, <laughs> you'll hear all the time, right? You've heard it. In our culture, what is the phrase? My body, my choice. But what if it's God's body? Is it God's body then God's choice? I certainly hope so. And God's ability to give us decisions to make. Maybe a little bit of sweat and blood as we struggle against sin in this area. But we have that ability with Jesus living inside of us. 
with the Spirit living inside of us. To save us from our own self-destruction came at a high cost for God. And that high cost is what makes us His. All right, let's recap and then I'm going to let you go. How do we find hope in a world that is so inundated by this sin, in a world that seems to be filled with so much pain and self-destruction because of this? Just go back over those three points. We have to deal with our confusion first. One, following your rights is not always right. Be clear within yourself about that. Number two, your bodies are so valuable. Not just your soul, not just your spirit, but also your body. They are so valued by God and ought to be valued by you as epic. And number three, we're not our own. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and that gives us decisions to make that will be empowered by the Spirit every day, and He will help you always, and that is your hope. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, you've given us these guardrails for our benefit. We, we sometimes want to do what we want to do, but Lord, help us to understand that the wisdom and the guidance that you've given us is for our long-term good. And Lord, as we live in your forgiveness and grace, as we live with you living within inside of us, help us to live as dearly loved and redeemed children of God, bought at a high cost with your holy and precious blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.